Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? Hey, this is Uncle Francis' Wine Cellar, a podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola cut by cut. And this is a Cage Club Network production. Old Hollywood production. Buonasera. Have a seat. Have a glass. And welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I am Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. Here I am. I made it just in time. <laughs> and I'm Mike Manzi. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mentioned having a glass of wine, but I, I have to introduce my wine today. Oh, here it yes. is. I left it out of reach of the computer, but I have it now. It is Francis Coppola Diamond Collection, but the Pinot Noir 2018. So here's Ooh. the bottle so you can see Mike on our video. Very nice. Uh, Dark t- label t- there. That's sort twist of the off negative. top. Uncle Francis. <laughs> Classy. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. Easy I mean, more, more and more twist off tops. And talk about Classy. I'm putting ice cubes in my wine today. So. <laughs> Uh, even I know that's uh, that's a no-no, right? Italians, some Italians do it. I learned this from an Italian. Okay, iced so. wine. I like that. Yeah, get your get your peaches next time. You got your peaches and wine. It's <laughs> an Italian snack. <laughs> so I saw it on The Sopranos, and my dad started laughing, and he's like, "Your grandfather used to do that." <laughs> oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. Because my because my family family exactly. Familia. Here we are again, Brian. We're here again, not to talk a Coppola film, but to talk something that very much features Francis Ford Coppola, at least someone acting as Francis Ford Coppola. We're talking The Offer, episode two today. I'm drinking my Coppola wine. You are not participating once again, but that's fine. I participate for the both of us. Yeah, yeah, it's a little it's a little late this episode of recording. So even if I had been partaking, I might not have I might have tapped out this episode. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Once again, these three episodes, one, two, and three, were released at the same time on Paramount Plus. Mike and I are taking our time with these, so we're not going to have them out right away. But we want to really study them. We want to really analyze them. So yeah. when we left mm-hmm. off, I think we both liked the first episode more than most people but we had our criticisms the mafia Mm -hmm. thing we weren't fans of right like uh, Mm that and then we end episode one with like uh the car being fired at so episode two i'm gonna tell you mike i I texted you i'm like i'm all in Mm -hmm. at this point (laughs) i gotta i gotta know if there was a if there was a a certain scene or a moment you know if there was like a eddie in the lobster tank (laughs) part where you're just like that's it like i can't quit this show i gotta be there yeah i really enjoyed this episode too i think um a lot of things that i didn't like about episode one some of them got smoothed out a little more other other things are still there but yeah really enjoyed this one so as we roll along i'm realizing episode one was clearly the pilot. I wasn't sure if like they had just written it all together and, and mm-hmm. it got picked up that way. Because so many shows now, 
Uh, it was not like when we were growing up, like there was a bunch of pilots, then you'd pick it up and you'd make your episode, you'd make your episode, you'd make your episode. Now these streaming services are in such a war. It's kind of like the housing market, honestly. You're hearing about people just like buying houses and not getting them inspected and stuff. Streaming services are buying shows and just being like, oh, Hulu offered you one season? Well, we're Netflix. We're offering you two seasons. We don't need a pilot yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, it feels like a seat at the table episode one felt like a pilot. It felt like it was shoving a lot in there and trying to set up a lot of stories. And I looked it up and that was written by the primary writer and I think the showrunner, Michael Tolkien, just Michael Tolkien. This one, number two, Warning Shots, which is also directed by Dexter Fletcher is the name of the director, but this was written by the whole writing team. So it's mm. Michael Tolkien, Leslie Grief, okay, okay. Uh, Nick, Nikki Toscano, Kevin Hayes. It's like a bunch of names. So it seems like they had the pilot, and finally they were like, all right, let's you know get the writing staff and put the rest of the show together. And I think it tells because yeah. there's a, a different pace to this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, it's kind of off and running more than the first one that had a bit more buildup, like I think you were saying. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I never think of pilots when it comes to dramas, you know? Like, I always just think of sitcoms and pilot (laughs) season and all this stuff. And, like, shows you see, like, one episode and then they never show up again. But, like, yeah, I guess, like, West Wing has a pilot episode (laughs) and, like, all this. Yeah, it just never occurred to me with a drama. So... I wasn't even really approaching it like that initially. And plus it had a cliffhanger, you know, they get shot at at the end. And and, and so like, I thought maybe if they ended it like a scene early without that extra like tag or whatever, it would have felt a little more like a, a one and done sort of experiment of some kind like that. Cause yeah. And also I think of HBO all the time where they'll just like cancel the show if it's not working in the middle of season two and be like, well, that's what you get for not ordering a pilot, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, they got a lot out of the way in the first episode as far as like setting up all these people and now like all the players are on the board for the most part we can actually just like play the game now yeah and we're rocking and rolling and it set us up oh baby we are swinging (laughs) (laughs) it set our expectations well too with who these characters are they're going to be played a little bit over the top and you know what i love it Uh, just a quick note on i thought that name sounded familiar dexter fletcher he was actually the the director of rocket man that uh elton john biopic so oh, he directed okay. he directed the first two episodes here, so that's interesting. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's funny how we like sort of mentioned how all these people are like larger than life and you gotta play them that way. And like even Miles Teller this episode as Al Ruddy is like especially nerdy. You know, like they really like everyone it just feels is like comfortable in their role more and leaning into those roles and being those characters. We gotta talk about his girlfriend, uh Fran- Francoise. We, we really didn't do that character justice. She owns the Chateau Mormont Hotel. We got to talk a little more about her this episode than, than last, because I feel like we left her out a bit. But like all of these personalities are in full swing, I feel. And that's part of more of the fun of the show to me right now. For sure. And full disclosure, I've seen episode three. I haven't seen episode four yet. Mike, you've only seen episode two. So... I apologize if episode three might color uh, my opinions. I can't unsee okay. it. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah we'll talk Francois. We'll talk a bunch of the characters today and all the happenings in the episode. We get some. We get some Al Pacino. 
in this episode. Oh, Rika, Rika, no, no. It was weird. It was cool, like, seeing him, like, I don't know. I think that guy did a great job of Al Pacino. Like, we could talk more when we cover the scene if we want, but, like, so far, I think they're nailing all of these impressions or all of these interpretations of famous people and actors. You know, I think that they're doing great jobs with all of that stuff. It's exactly what I want. It's, it might be a little fan service. I don't care. I love it. So <laughs> we open with the Italian-American Civil Rights League slash mafia thing. And I'm like, oh, so they're really, really mm-hmm. leaning on this, right? But yeah. as the episode goes on... They tone this down, right? It doesn't feel (laughs) like it's the same threat that it was in the first episode. Even some of the Dons and some people are like, what the hell do you care about this for, you know? (laughs) This is way better. I am almost (laughs) embarrassed. Like, I went off last episode about the Mafia stuff and, like, how just out of place, I guess, it felt. But I think maybe they were setting it up to be kind of, like familiar at first maybe you know like give you something familiar while you're dealing with hollywood and the business and all of that sort of strange weird swinging stuff like at least that was like something you were you knew about or at least like could have like a center for this is hilarious because it almost flips on all of that this episode where it's like what are you doing being the face of this league? Like, you're a mobster. Like, get someone to front this. Like, what's up? What's wrong with you? And then it's like, yeah. fuck Sinatra. Fuck him. Fuck Sinatra. Like, why are we caring about what the fuck Sinatra? Like, that is amazing to me, this episode. And it's like, now I really understand, I think, the difference. You know, what they were, the expectations they set up with them. And then the ones that I feel that they completely just, like, destroyed in this episode. That I'm like, now where the hell is this mafia stuff going to go? Like, I'm excited to see where this stuff goes now. Yeah, no, same. I think they reset that so well. I don't know if the critics who are panning this maybe made that decision just based on the first episode. I'm seeing a lot of critics again saying that the characters are too cartoony. But that's the best because how, how else I are agree. you going to do Pacino? How else are you going to do Robert Redford? Like, how else are you going to pull that off unless you make everybody else in the in the show sort of a, a caricature at that same level, you know? So, like, Bob Evans has to be turned up to 11 and everybody else, you know? Barry Lapidus has to be, like, the ultimate fucking asshole and thorn in your side, you know? Where he probably really <laughs> wasn't that, yeah. that bad. But they got to do that for the show, and I dig it. I think that's what's part of the fun. Because it's just like putting a show on. It's not really that different than making any, any other movie when you come down to it. You know, you need to get the permission from this guy. You need to get the permission from that guy. You got to get this actor, get get who you want. It just the the circumstances of this are, are just like, you know, The Godfather is just more of like a bigger movie than any other story. So like we're all very much interested in how this one came together. Absolutely. When people say like, oh, The Godfather, they're talking about the greatest compliment you can give a movie like it's the godfather of this and and not just the title like you know what i mean it's like it's a great title for doing that but i'm glad you bring up that this is like a showbiz show and it's just like a behind the scenes how the sausage is made look on films in the 70s i was really thinking about this paramount thing and you mentioned it last time mike how they said paramount's like an eighth place and it's owned by gulf gulf western at this point 
And, you know, they're just one of the studios in town, and they're trying so hard to make it. They're not like a you know, independent studio by any means. But flash forward to today, we're watching this on Paramount+. Plus. And Paramount Plus used to essentially be CBS All Access and a couple other things. And they chose, what, like a year ago, a year and a half ago, to take on the Paramount name because of the prestige. And it's just cool as hell, right, when they merged everything. And you said this last time, and, and I thought about it a lot more in watching this episode, how is it a little bit of, like, jerking themselves off? Maybe. But... It's also so cool that we're here that, like, theoretically, if I have children or nephews or whoever, right, like, and the streaming service survives, they're going to be watching Paramount. It's almost like baseball, right? It feels like a pastime, some of these studios now. And, and this is, like, one, probably the most interesting story to ever happen to Paramount. See, that's the other thing, too, is, like, is the movie that kind of saved the studio and, like redefined a genre like it ended up having more repercussions than your average movie which is more interesting than making a different movie you know behind the scenes of that like that's why it's not on netflix as an episode of the movies that made us you know along with like back to the future and ghostbusters and stuff and like i don't necessarily need a show about the making of those movies but the godfather is just like i don't know it just rises above. It's a piece of art. And, you know, I don't know what other studios could make shows about movies they made, you know. And you're right about Disney. Disney, because they have, right? Like, uh, okay. The, the Hanks one, where he's Disney. Oh, yeah. But that wasn't about me. I mean, it was partially about making Mary Poppins, but not entirely like. Fair, fair. But, but Disney's the only other one, is my point. Yeah. But, but it's also very clever how Paramount branded themselves the streaming network off the studio because it's not like HBO is Warner Brothers streaming. That would be really interesting, you know, and like what movie could they do a show about? And and yeah, I just really like the concept of the whole behind the scenes, you know, like seeing how the show is made, how movies are made is a show I will watch already, but you do that about The Godfather and like, you know, I don't want to miss it. So... I'm just 100%. really glad that I'm like into it too. Like I- I'm glad they took this sort of more light route as opposed to like the ex- like the super serious route or anything. Like this is the weirdest segue, but you got you got me thinking. This the big streaming services now they had to choose names, and it's awesome that CBS went for Paramount because CBS in a lot of places is the number one network in America, but you and I, Mike, are coastal people, you know, in, in <laughs> liberal states. We don't live in Iowa. And there's nothing wrong with Iowa. That's not what I'm saying. But CBS is, like, uncool around here. You know what I mean? Like, like no one brags about watching CSI. Around us. Around us. We're in a bubble. <laughs> I get it. But Paramount, right? Again, there's just a certain prestige about that Paramount mountain. HBO Max... You're right. They could have been the Warner thing. They could have been the Turner streaming service. But they chose HBO because HBO has, I think, the most prestige in that portfolio. I'm actually reading, right, right. and I've been reading a book, uh, Tinderbox, HBO's Ruthless Pursuit of New Frontiers. That's the, the big uh, title. But it's a uh, book by James Andrew Miller. And he writes these great, uh, what do you call it, like oral history books that are huge. And that, that book's, again, about the whole history of HBO so I'm I'm also like getting a lot of that in my daily commute because it's like an audiobook about like 
how they make these shows, how they make these movies, the behind-the-scenes movement things. And then I'm also watching this, so there's a lot of synergy there. Mm. Peacock, NBC named it, what, after after their, like, mascot, essentially. And then Netflix and Amazon are just, like, separate companies, whatever. But, like, there's something about the idea that in the next generation of entertainment, that the viewing of people, that the only studio... Really, I'm not counting HBO as a studio. That's a TV channel. I know it's not TV, TV it's HBO, but <laughs> yeah. the only old-timey studio to get its name on a streaming service is Paramount. And that just makes me yeah. happy watching yeah. this movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Long no, rant. Totally. But... <laughs> no, no, it does, because I think I mentioned last episode, like, uh, you know, it was so clever of them to beat every other studio to the punch to tell a story about the history of their studio. Like, I'm sure, you know, like they could go further back. You know, I don't know if this is, I don't, I I can't Paramount off the top of my head. I can't jump out and just tell you like, you know, what movie they could do next, but like whatever studio did Gone with the Wind, right? Or Wizard of Oz or something like you could go, you could keep doing this about famous movies if you wanted to. I mean, they would have to be, seminal films like the godfather but you know i think you could do a couple seasons you know about other films and i also would like to see you know like we mentioned last episode you know more on the godfather or even just oh, follow yeah. coppola follow oh, his yeah. career. well that's why we're doing this podcast Sub- i know question. i had to bring it back home <laughs> sub question though so i'm bringing it away from home for a second oh all right only had time to go to the bathroom and now we're out the door again <laughs> Have we gone too far now that we're making movies about making movies? Or making shows about making movies? Have we run out of ideas? <laughs> Definitely not, because they've been making movies about making movies since, you know, before Singing in the Rain. I mean, that's a movie about... Sunset uh, Boulevard, right? Like, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Singing in the Rain's... I remember watching that and being like, oh... So it's like the Millie Vanilli story, kind of like the idea there is that if they're transit, the, the most famous silent era film star has a horrible voice for sound pictures. So they start overdubbing her and then they end up just using, replacing her with a new star who can sing and dance and do it all and everything. Whoa, whoa, spoilers, Mike. Oh, I didn't tell you how it ended. I just, you know, just how, how it started. But yeah, I mean, that that has always been a fascination. I mean... What was it? The Tommy Wiseau. They even made a movie about the room, right? And yeah. like movies about making movies always win awards and Hollywood just loves it. So uh, I hope it doesn't stop soon because I like it too. You know, it's very dramatic. I'm going to use this term again, though. We are in a bubble, specifically you and I and our fellow film podcasters. Whenever I talk to someone who's not as into film, they're like, I tried listening to your show, but I just don't get it. You know, like <laughs> too many, too many references, maybe reference. It's just too deep. Like you and I uh, on High School Slumber Party, just just going bananas over Corey Haim's stuff. But like <laughs> we're passionate about it. But I get how some people aren't. It's tough when, you know, this child star that you grew up with and you liked his films and you start going deep into their filmography and you find out that he made a movie about um, a psychic dog. Like how like you can't not lose your mind over that. I, I guess my point is though that we the, uh, on High School Slumber Party I asked the question, who is this movie made for? Like who is this show made for? You and me, Mike, because we both love Coppola, we both <laughs> love The Godfather, but we love both love the minutia of these things, and we both love the filmmaking process. So to see it yeah. here and and to see, for example, which I love, probably my favorite part of the show, the 
Francis Ford Coppola, Mario Puzo show oh that's happening God. here? Yes. That's yes, a comedy. It's a street like, comedy. Sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the, what's the opposite of the odd couple? Because that's who they are in this thing. You know, it's like a Neil Simon thing. <laughs> a match made in heaven, like two Italian guys who I guess hadn't met, but just they want to go to this this place with this script and just how they motivate each other and again francis like the like slightly more responsible one but the artists we're seeing francis as the yeah. artist here and i love it and puzo not that he's not an artist but they're cut from the same cloth but they're made into different garments if you know <laughs> what i'm saying like because because one comes from the world of novels and books and coppola comes from the world of of film and moving pictures and and so like they're two separate minds at work that are put together and they come out making like sort of the ultimate version of like both like the best version of the movie and the best version of the book and so it's really interesting how how in the show they're portrayed and by the way brian did you eat my ham was that you <laughs> so so much stuff for our good friend uh kyle reinfried of foodie films in this yeah, i told them i told <laughs> the food and the offer is amazing but yeah so i want to say like dan fogler i think he's doing a bang-up job as francis for coppola patrick gallo yeah. As Mario Puzo again, I don't know Mario Puzo that well, but but it mm-hmm. feels real. And then you mentioned Matthew Good as Robert Evans is still uh, Chef's kiss. But we, yeah, but we gotta talk. The scene that they're breaking is when Michael's making the meatballs, and not Tessio, the other one is telling him Clemenza. Um, you know, Clemenza is telling him how to do the sauce and also like how you're gonna kill the guy and. You know, he's going through the whole scene and he's bringing him there. And like, so like that was kind of fun too. You know, I doubt, I doubt that it was just like a eureka moment. That's still one of the things I sort of have an issue with, with the show where it's just like, and that's how it happened. You know, it's very like Francis Ford Coppola meet Mario Puzo and like they <laughs> shake hands. And it's like, this is the beginning of a long friendship. It's just like, there's still too much of that, but I don't care because it's a lot of fun to watch. Look. I told you last time that I, you know, combed through the special features of of whatever edition of that Godfather it was. God, I gotta yeah. look that up. The I people who mine. wrote this, oh, nice. The people who wrote this, yeah, I don't think it's that one that I have, but the, the Coppola people, Restoration. Okay. The people who wrote this watched those special features because now it's hitting the beats. The same beats mm. that those special features did. Which I love because this is something that, you know, it's like showing yeah. you the mental picture of it. Francis, one of the big things he talked about, two big things he talked about, and we get it here uh, in episode two, was that, and a little bit more in episode three, to be honest with you, is that they wanted Robert Redford in this film so bad. They wanted a Robert Redford type that they were even telling him, hey, I know he doesn't look Italian, but maybe he's Northern Italian. Maybe, you know, the family is right. Northern Italian. And yeah. that's not going to fly. This is a Sicilian family. You don't get more Southern Italian than Sicily, right? That was one thing that Francis talked about a lot. Uh, Uncle Francis. Uh, we should address him by his, his his official title, Uncle Francis. On the special features. And the other thing, he was like how they were trying to get him not to film it in New York. They suggest, like, St. Louis and places like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both moments in this show, in this episode, the casting and the location problems. Yeah, yeah so this and, is... 
This is ripped from those special features. Wow, and they just sort of, I guess, wrote scenes around that because yeah, she opens the door at the casting meeting and there's like a line of blonde dudes standing there that look like Robert Redford lookalikes. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. This also seems to be based on like a lot of things. Like they probably interviewed everybody again. They probably listened to every piece of documented footage, looked at every photo, you know, tried to match all of the garments, just everything down to the wire. And I think they did a great job, you know, and, and it's on full display too at that party where Evans goes, you know, and it's so funny with Evans, like we have to sort of do a scene that to like bring everybody back into the show. Right. Cause like, you know, we got Coppola and Puzo, they're writing and they're this. We got Al and his secretary and they're being interviewed by the FBI because they got shot at by a mobster. And then we got Robert Evans and it's like, what is this guy up to all the time? He just fucking parties his ass off from from noon to morning, you know, and he's just swinging all night long, baby. And it's just like so much fun to just watch that, like just watch Matthew Good like work a room as Robert Evans is just like so much fun. The 70s and 80s were so cocaine fueled. Oh yeah, he's sniffing a lot in this. There's a phonetic pace to it. I'm not endorsing cocaine use. I'm just saying like there's a phonetic pace to phonetic, phonetic. Uh, you know what I mean, people. But <laughs> there's a pace to this that's like so cocaine fueled because he works hard and parties hard, right? And he's got right. a lot of pressure on him. A lot of pressure. But he's still, like, himself. Like, this is not good, but I went to into work a couple days this week with a Bob Evans mindset that I had to tone myself down with, right? I wasn't, like, <laughs> hitting on people at work. I don't mean like that, but, like, ah, fuck them. You know, like no, that kind of thing. That, you know? but, like, yeah, get it done. Get it done. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, yeah. The, this, is, this is what we're going to do. So that was, like, the positive aspects of it, of it but it definitely was just, like... I was like, fuck that guy a couple times, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, he's an incorrigible asshole, like, most of his life. But, like, that's what you got to do in that business to get anything done, you know? And I think, like, a bunch of times, I don't think this is a guy that takes any, tries to take anything personal, you know? Like, it's just business, baby. Like, we're trying to make a movie here, you know? I just need you to do your thing. Work your magic. (laughs) I'm working my magic. You work your magic. And they work their magic. And, like, somehow we make a fucking picture. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just love the in, in the interpretation and like, yeah, that, that energy that he brings is really interesting. And it's fun to see everybody sort of uh, on the board, like I was saying earlier, like everybody shares a lot of scenes together in this episode. So you get a lot of clashing and a lot of problems between people, you know, people are pissed off at other people for not like standing up and saying more or whatever. And then that leads to something else. Like there's a lot of fun behind-the-scenes stuff going on here. Yeah, so I have a couple beats I, I want to hit on, uh, speaking of that. Yeah. In this episode, we get a lot more of Betty, uh, his secretary. Mm-hmm. So this, um, if you look at the credits, and I tried to really pay attention to the credits this time, Al Ruddy is a producer on oh, this. Oh, how about that? On the show. Okay. This is his story based on his recollections. So this is like almost mm-hmm. like... The Disaster Artist is not not Tommy Wiseau's story. It's the actor. I forgot his name. Yeah. Hi, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, Mark. The one who plays Mark. So this is that, right? So we are supposed to interpret it. This is how Al Ruddy remembers things. Remember, this is a long time ago, so who knows? I'm so glad that he focused, and we don't know the behind the scenes of this show. Maybe we'll make it. But that that they're focusing on um, Betty so much, played by Juno Temple, and like yeah. how much she had to do and how vital she is to this process. I think if this is, 
a film that they made now, she's like an equal producer to Ruddy. At the time, she's just a secretary. But like, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, who she reminds me of is like, and and I don't know this person aside from just what I've seen in interviews and read in interviews, but like almost like a Kathleen Kennedy, <laughs> like no, like a yeah. producer in her own right. You know, she is very much deserves a credit as producer. Yeah, like again, in today's day and age, she would definitely just be a producer on her own. They're working as a team. There are moments where especially in the third episode where it's clear there's a hierarchy of like that they're not equals yeah 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 yeah. but she's still like she just kicks ass they do a good job in this episode of making them feel like a team at least for this episode because they had that encounter with uh mickey was it mickey cohen which we'll get teased in this episode that's a fun scene but you know they're talking over that at uh, having a drink and he tells that story about getting his ass kicked after school but like at least he stood up to the bully and she's Mm -hmm. like i get it we're not gonna quit we're gonna stand and that's not great writing or anything to my as far as i I feel like that's kind of cheap right it's it's a shortcut but like i like that that they're on the same team there and then later when uh his girlfriend like knows he's not telling her something. She goes to Betty and she's like, I'm not going to tell you because like I'm, I'm on his team or she says something like that. Right. She's like, I'm not going to, I'm not on your side, but I'm on his side or whatever. Like, so I thought that was kind of cool too, where she's like, I'm not your enemy, but like, I'm not your friend either. Like, you know, I just, I work with your boyfriend, you know, I can't divulge secrets if it pertains to, ongoing investigations or work and stuff so like i i I enjoy how they're sort of trying to portray them as a as a duo yeah i give it to al as a producer because he comes across like a fucking idiot sometimes you know and like (laughs) it's just he just does because he doesn't know the business and he's the first one to like say like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing sometimes and i think that's really cool to put in there yeah 100 percent you mentioned her before, Francois. Yeah. Let's talk her a little bit. What were your thoughts on that character? So that's Al Ruddy's... Are they husband and wife at this point? I know they got married I at don't, one point. I don't know what the timeline is right now, but she is the owner of the Chateau Mormont, and they... Right? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Very yeah, famous I mean, hotel. as far as I know, yeah. Okay. And obviously this was a real person in real life, but I didn't know about this person before this show and i just think it's a very interesting character because we were talking in episode one about how male dominated this show is and feels right and it's funny that we didn't really talk about her so much because she kind of just feels like one of the guy characters in a lot of ways but it's a good example of being like you don't have to write a character the same way that they've been writing women or men for forever, you know? Like, I just think that she's a very strong, interesting character with her own agenda and her. she's looking out for herself, but she also likes Al, loves Al, um, and just is, you know, trying to protect her interests too. She tells that story about meeting uh, Mickey Cohen and turning him down and talking about how, like, she escaped Germany and she doesn't sell Irish whiskey because they didn't help out in World War II. Like, she's got, you know like a lot of morals and she knows who she is. And I think that's a very interesting character in this show. I'm still trying to like figure out. So I'll say this, Mike, like this is when I brought up like episode three is going to color my opinion a bit. After episode two, I was in agreement with you. I'm like, oh, this is why she's kind of being like that. I'm so curious where her arc goes. I can't wait to talk 
about her character in episode three. This is one of the most interesting characters in the show and confusing, to be honest with you. So, yeah, yeah, we'll, de- yeah. We'll, we'll definitely get there. Uh, do yourself a favor. Do not look up her Wikipedia, the real life person. Okay, okay. That also colored my opinion on things, too. So, so this actress, like, what is with this accent? This accent is insane. Like, this is what I'm talking about where I say I love this show and the choices that these actors are making because this... This accent, I've never heard anything like this before in my life. And sometimes I think it's like the worst thing. And sometimes I think it's absolutely incredible. And I just, it's another part of the show where I'm just like, what is going on with this, with this accent? So I, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see where that goes. Because it's it's not like a, it doesn't sound French. It doesn't sound German. You know, it, it doesn't even really sound all that European. It just kind of sounds like she's doing a voice. So I don't know. I, I, it's, it's just a whole a whole other part of the show where I'm like, what is happening? I'm fine with it though. Like again, I'm just I'm all in at this point, especially with the accent work. Oh that, yeah, I mean that's not gonna I'm not gonna get out because of that. I mean, hey, Giovanni Rabisi this episode, he's sounding a little better. I think he did some work. I think he might have seen some rushes or some dailies and been like, I gotta maybe yeah. I gotta tone <laughs> that down a little bit. So let's let's talk the mafia elements a little bit more. One of the big uh, deals here is that, like, they're looking, like, let's cast Johnny Fontaine. Sinatra's still oh, a, big, a big bad, but this guy, um, Vic Damone, he wants the part of Johnny Fontaine. And he's just, like, one of these many, many, many Italian-American crooners of the era who are, like, Sinatra clones. You know, eventually we'll get Al Martino, who's just another Sinatra clone. No offense to Al Martino fans. I'm not, like, ripping him. But you know what I mean? Sinatra is the top of the pyramid, and then it trickles down with all these other guys. Yeah, yeah. That's fair to say, you know. And they they go to Vegas to try to just convince Vic Damone. He's all in. But Sinatra is, like, you know, mafia, essentially. Like, I hate to use the word. But, you know, things happen, and Vic Vic Damone just embarrasses them, essentially, at a show. It's just, like... Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't play that part or whatever. But what do you think of this whole like Vegas element and the victim own character? I I love it because you know how Vegas plays a part in The Godfather. So it was fun being there and seeing them try and make this deal and seeing the town kind of like say no. <laughs> like it's a very fun sort of uh, sequence of events. Like they go to the pool and victim owns like. Did you really write this for Sinatra about Sinatra and 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 Puzo just flat out lies and he's like this character is you, you know? <laughs> and, and and he agrees he's like come to the show this and that and they all like salute and then they're at the show and we're watching him perform and then some guy like just comes out of the corner and it was like yeah hey, I heard you were doing the movie The Godfather and it's sort of like again this writing sometimes Brian this is what kills me he's like I don't really think you should be doing that you know. <laughs> Yeah, look, the, the writing is not like HBO. It's just quality. the dialogue. I think it, it's just the dialogue, the dialogue for me dialogue, sometimes yeah. is so cringe sometimes because he's literally like, no, my friend, I would definitely never in a hundred years ever, ever do something like that to offend the Italian-Americans. On top of that, Mario Puzo was one hell of a traitor, if you ask. It's like, and that line comes up later, too, when he's trying to get permission in New York. He's like, Mario Puzo was a traitor to the Italian-Americans. It's like, okay, <laughs> like we get it. That still kills me. I don't think it's going to get better, but it might get more fun. 
It's just fun at this point. It's just like in the tone, I'm all in. Drink every time you say all in. I love it. I am. Okay. So, uh, and I will. I actually have a drink, so I can. <laughs> Sinatra, though, I thought Sinatra planted that guy. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, you just bitch into the mob. like Because they find out like immediately. They find everything out, and it's starting to piss them off that Sinatra gives so much of a crap about this. He's one of the could you imagine? Oh, could you imagine running the mob and then having to deal with Sinatra, too? Like every little thing, this guy needs like a hand, like help me with this, help me with that. It's like we're running the whole whole goddamn East Coast here. We're trying to run the whole country. <laughs> Maybe this is a hot take. Maybe this will be the YouTube clip I cut. But I'm just going to say it. Frank Sinatra, the Kanye West of his day. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Both iconic musicians, both considered geniuses in their time, both when they put out an, al- an album, everything stops, right? Like, people really care about it if you're a devoted fan of these particular yeah. musicians. But super sensitive. When something comes up like this, again, this is the Sinatra character, but I've heard these rumors, right? Like, he's, he's called the chairman of the board for a reason. You know, like, right. K- Kanye almost carries that same kind of, oh, you said something about me? You're going down, <laughs> sort of thing. I don't know if Kanye has yeah, the mob yeah. behind him, but if he did, mm. Pete D- Davidson would be dead. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, maybe Kanye now, but I watched that like three-part Netflix documentary that one of his closest friends made about him that charted his rise to fame, and he definitely didn't seem like a dude like that starting out. But you know, was Sinatra? I, was Sinatra? I I mean, from what I understand, like. Yeah, uh, he's been connected from the beginning. Like that's how he got in, you know, on the radio. Again, <laughs> you, you said it though. Who made that documentary about Kanye? His friend, one of his best friends. So uh, yeah, from back in the day. So I don't know, but yeah, yeah, one of his wi- one call. of his wise guys, call. one of his wise guys made it. You know, part of his entourage. Yeah, Kanye West, Frank Sinatra. Same guy, different era. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Believe me, Kanye would love to hear that. <laughs> he would. He would. He probably thinks he's better than Sinatra. He, maybe Sinatra would love to hear it in his grave. Sinatra rolling over right now. I start doing a Sinatra impression for YouTube, but. <laughs> <you know. laughs> oh, man. So the other thing I wanted to mention when it comes to the mafia stuff, we get our first glimpse yeah. of, of Lou Ferrigno here. The Hulk himself. He looks great. He looks great. What were your thoughts, Mike? Brian, I lost my mind. He looks amazing. 70 years old, according to the internet. Couldn't believe it. Now, here's here's something. I'm going to totally geek out for a second, and this is going to be so silly, but you just please bear with me. Okay, so we all know Lou Ferrigno played the Incredible Hulk on television, okay? And that the Hulk is green. uh, But in issue one, he was gray because of printing problems and what have you they changed him to green and he was green for a very very long time until somewhere in the 300s the issue 300 or so around that time he turns gray he turns into the gray hulk okay and he has a different persona personality sort of bruce banner's got a fractured mind with multiple hulks running around okay and one of them manifests as the gray hulk calls himself Mr. Fix-It, moves to Las Vegas, and becomes an enforcer for the mafia and starts to, like, run Vegas. Wow. <laughs> and so when I, see, when I see Lou Ferrigno 
basically as Mr. Fix-It in this program, like being an enforcer for the mob, I lost my mind and I had to like take a bunch of pictures and post it on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Wow. I did not know that. But yeah, so we haven't gotten any dialogue. We know because I looked it up. That this is the he's playing the person who would play Luca Brasi, and there was always rumors yeah. that that guy was an actual mafia guy. So I can't wait to see how that happens. Brian, you you pulled another great parallel uh, earlier. You sent me a picture where I I posted something like how Matthew Good is so great at, at Bob Evans. You're like, hey, did they base Mo Green on Bob Evans? Possibly, you know, they have a very similar look. They have a very similar attitude and that kind of fever. They're hotheads in a lot of ways. So, like, I think you might be on to something. I like how the show is is sort of doing that. Yeah, it's creating those parallels. I love Mo Green. When we talk The Godfather, I'll tell you how much I love Mo Green. He might be... <laughs> uh, I want to do this. I want to have an episode where we rank Godfather characters, like our own personal rankings. Mo Green's, Mo Green's in my top ten. So. That's wild. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. I've always loved that line. <laughs> You put your hands on my brother. <laughs> yeah, oh, love that scene. I can't again. I can't wait to talk that scene. It's like he was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. Fredo, you never talk about the business with anyone outside the family. Oh, I'm, for, I'm probably misquoting these, but like I just can't wait to get oh, there. Can't wait, can't wait. But we're getting there. We're getting there with this with this movie and sorry with this show. It feels like a movie. Let's just get to it because my favorite. Favorite yeah. parts oh. are just like oh. the ca- the casting things here. Um, before so we get good. into Pacino, they mention Brando. We know Puzo has written him a letter. And when they're like talking about Brando to studio executives, they're like, you know, he's not hot right now. His last four movies bombed. He's an asshole. He's going to be uninsurable. Are you sure this is the guy we want? And Brando represents the old established Hollywood that, for example, like when people make TV shows or movies, there's kind of like two routes you go. It's like, do we get the biggest stars in Hollywood? Like, um, like I'm reading this HBO book, so this is why I'm using these examples. Big Little Lies, right? Big Little Lies is like Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Like, just yeah. huge-ass cast, and that's a reason, one of the reasons why people watch. But then you have something like uh, Sopranos... Which largely unknowns, right? Until later seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Succession with almost complete unknowns, except like Alan. Rock a, a lot of char- a lot of great character actors. Even Game of, Th- Game Even of Game Thrones. Game of Thrones, you know? yeah. Especially yeah, early yeah. on, like as people who maybe you've seen him once or twice or not at all, right? The Godfather is going to make careers for so many actors. The studio, yeah. though, would you know wants to cast all these known people, but. Coppola and Puzo, but mostly Coppola, has this vision of the exact people he wants. And he's like, Al Pacino is my guy. Al Pacino needs to play Michael. And at this point, Al Pacino is kind of a well... He's he's nothing nothing to 99% of America. He's only well-known, and I've read about this, in the New York theater scene. And not even like Broadway plays, just like... Mm -hmm. The scene. Yeah, New York theater scene. He's coming up in this movement that De Niro came up in and a lot of actors came up in and, like, you know, that sort of method acting. Mm-hmm. You know, Stella Adler and Meisner and schools like that. Yeah, Jared Leto. 
Jared Leto. <laughs> the Jared Leto School of Acting. No, oh, what's the other one? Um, what's his name? Lee Strasberg, the actor studio. Lee Strasberg, of course, would go yeah, on yeah. To, to play uh, Hyman Roth in the the second film. But yeah, Pacino is getting a name in New York, but that's it. So Coppola might be familiar with him in that respect, and he is. But a Hollywood executive is not going to know or care about Pacino. But the actor who plays Pacino, and we mentioned him last time, and the voice, and just like, and the, also the angles of the camera makes you feel like yes. this, is, this is a young Pacino there. And and some people have criticized this. Be, oh, it's so cartoony. Oh, it's so like, turn up to no 11. No way. I don't care. I love it. So a lot of interesting stuff. Like the whole idea that even the casting agents are aware of Pacino, but it's like he's too small, you know, like no one, he won't make a mark. No one's going to know who he is. He's not, a, he doesn't, like he's great, but no one knows what he's done. Like, and he he's done physically small and he's like, okay. you yeah. know, also as well, like he's not even a presence they're kind of yeah. implying, like he, on he's screen. not a movie star. No. Even even he says, "I don't see myself as a lead." You know, I see myself more maybe as Sonny, like that. I could understand, but why do you want me to carry your movie? I love what this actor's doing with the body language. I love what he's doing with his like attitude. He's very sort of green still in a lot of ways. You know, he's ordering all the food because he's probably starving. Oh, yeah? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'll take three desserts. Anthony Ippolito yeah. is his name. Okay, he's like, I'll tell you what, I'll do your movie if I get the desserts. <laughs> it's not that high. That's a terrible Pacino, but I was doing it on purpose. But I really like the way he comes across because, like, if he didn't go big, I don't think I'd buy him. It's not like he's wearing prosthetics. No one's going that far, right? Like, that's no, exactly. Like, yeah, that yeah. Would be like too even far. the even the guy playing Sinatra, like, it's not like they like made his nose pointy or anything. Like, no, those <laughs> are those. That's that dude's real features and stuff. So, like. I think they're going just far enough. I think it's started. It's campy. You know what I mean? Like you have to be a little bit. It's the entertainment business for crying out loud. Like they're not even taking it a hundred percent seriously. You know, half the time they're fucking drinking and partying while they're trying to wheel and deal. So like, that's, that's what I expect the show to be like watching. Like parts of it are going to be serious, but for the most part, it's just a party. You know, and I think they get that vibe across really well. Now, just before I step step off, like um, one parallel that I didn't consider before that I find kind of interesting is like Pacino kind of reminds me of Bella Lugosi a little bit now that I think about it, where it's like was a sort of a mm. big Broadway star or at least like off Broadway. He was doing Bella was doing Dracula and, uh, you know, they were, were like, who was going to play Dracula in the movie? And they used Bella from the stage and it's kind of they sort of have like very similar statures and stuff i don't know i was just getting a weird i'm doing that monster podcast at the same time as this so like that monster podcast say the name say the name the monsters that made us not bella from twilight forever uh but bella from the monsters that made us but no it's it's just now nowadays you go to broadway and the stage and the theater to find your next actors and then when you're an established actor you go back to broadway you know to like hone your skills again yeah, broadway dude dude i am in you know the city all the time with my job and i'm sorry like i mean like downtown and bro and like you pass these marquees and it's hugh jackman and it's like and i know he came from stage but 
Now Broadway feels like it's dominated by movie stars. Like you almost need a movie star to do that. But back then, there were such different worlds. I, I think of like Sam Rockwell, right? Because right now he's got a new thing on Broadway. But that's a guy who came from the stage and you know worked his way through movies and you know made it a very established Hollywood career. He even got into the Marvel movies at one point. And yeah, mm-hmm. now he's back and doing Broadway. And yeah, I find that kind of stuff very interesting. So. I guess this is all just a long way of saying like Coppola has good instincts. You know, he's like, we don't get a movie star. We make a movie star. The Godfather will make so many movie stars. The Godfather and Coppola has his casting issues. We've talked about it on Third Time's a Charm. But hey, even this one, he cast his sister. So he does cast his sister. I can't wait till we see that. Right. Like the explanation. Oh, he's going to play that. (laughs) Like I think my sister should be in it. Like right, like that's interesting. But at the same time, just get the right person for the role. And if it's a if it's great material and they're a great actor, they will elevate themselves. Al Pacino becomes a superstar after The Godfather. Think about like so many people from stage, obscure people. De Niro is pretty obscure. I know he was in like uh, you know Scorsese stuff, and but they mentioned a Pacino movie called The Panic at Needle Park. Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, very depressing. Very depressing, but actually, like, for years, my office was essentially across from Needle Park, which is very, it's a beautiful Upper West Side now. So I remember watching that movie. It's about junkies. Yeah, oh my God, right? (laughs) Basically, like, Pacino and his girlfriend shooting up for 90 minutes until he dies, I think. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) <laughs> so I looked up the actor, um, Anthony Apolito. He's a young guy. One of the things I found in his 2019, he was at in Baruch College, which is, he's a true New York guy. He's from uh, Long Island. Baruch College is uh, one of the city schools in New York. He was on the baseball team, believe it or not. So like I'm looking up his like baseball, you know, pitching page. Oh, he's a pitcher. All right. But, like, if he was in college in 2019, he must be pretty young now. So, a favorite actor, they have, like, a Q&A. Favorite actor, Marlon Brando. How cool is that? That's very cool. Well, see, that that's another thing about Brando around this time. It's like, he he's a huge star for big roles, but this is going to eclipse all of them. You know? Like, how crazy is that, kind of? Like, when you say Brando, you think The Godfather, right? You might think second. You might think On the Waterfront. Or Streetcar or, you know. or something like that, you know? Yeah, or the yeah. Or The Freshman. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or The Island of Dr. Moreau, you know, <laughs> the remake. But where he's got a little version of himself on the piano. Look, fair enough. Apocalypse Now, another Coppola film. That might be in that category. But no, it's The Godfather. <laughs> But he's barely in it as Colonel Kurtz, you know? He might as well be Colonel Clink. Like, <laughs> he's not... Mm. But... Yeah, that that I think of Sheen. Fair enough. Of, yeah. But, like, this, act, uh, this young actor, what a role of a lifetime. Hey, you're playing Al Pacino. And um, on this baseball page, it says, Major undeclared career ambition to be an actor. Oh. Good for him. So this show is even, like making people you know like they didn't they didn't get like a famous person to play al pacino and i like that yeah because i don't think you can i think they got a famous or a semi-recognizable guy that was playing redford in the last episode but i don't feel like you can do that like even matthew good right i feel like he's more of like 
I don't know. I don't, isn't he? Is he British? I feel like he's yeah. one of those British guys that has like a career like elsewhere and has done stuff in America, but like not a whole lot. Even Dan Fogler, right? Like mostly a comedian. Like people recognize him mostly maybe from those Harry Potter films and things. Like I just feel like they have the right caliber of actors for this. No one's like a mega star. Sorry, Giovanni Ribisi, but no one is a nobody. Well, I mean, yeah, they're nobodies. And I mean, let me rephrase that. So like no one's a megastar and then they're trying to make stars, like sort of like in the movie itself, like in the show we're watching. I love it. Couldn't agree more. Miles Teller's top build. He's probably like the biggest star in this. But <sighs> yeah, but probably. Is he an A-lister? I don't think so. I mean, I just saw some Top Gun footage today that he's going to be in maybe soon. I he, think might, he might be Rabisi, after that. Giovanni Ribisi, I think, was close or there at one point for a minute, you know, gone in 60 seconds around that era, that time, possibly. He was close. I think Miles is definitely at that level. Juno Temple with Ted Lasso and stuff. It's close, but you're right. This, yeah. isn't, this isn't Nicole Kidman. You know what I mean? This isn't Big Little Lies. Yeah. I mostly knew Juno Temple, I think, from like smaller indie things, like a crazy Matthew McConaughey movie. And then Colin Hanks, you know, he's a Hanks. He's he's just sort of like a solid character actor. I don't really think of him too much as a movie star. He was great in Fargo, the show, and other things. But, yeah. I love Juno Temple. I've said this before. Like, I semi-crush on her i'm gonna be honest with you and watch killer joe that's the mcconaughey movie interesting yeah, that's oh yeah, yeah yeah i have seen that she's good in that but the first time i really saw her and i was like whoa i think this chick is hot um <laughs> was in that really bad uh what was it year one have you seen that jack black michael Sarah. oh the caveman movie the, like, caveman. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not great but she's in that and she's pretty hot in that i love that cast by yeah. the way oliver platt hank azaria but, yeah. <laughs> Juno Temple, I'll give her props again. Was there anything else about the episode you want to talk about before we end uh, it? Yeah, there's a couple things. Um, I think Al's got a lot of balls when he goes to talk to Mickey Cohen and, and stuff. And it's like, it's a bit of a redundant scene, though, because Mickey Cohen's like, I'm just the messenger. Like, didn't you get the fucking message? Like, I shot your car like what are you doing here like that's the message you know and he just like went to him to be told like you'll be contacted uh and that's how the episode ends on another cliffhanger where he's where al's walking through the streets of new york city and the mob comes up to him and he's like get in the car al Ruddy, not, have a talk not, with you. not al pacino but yeah oh yeah yeah sorry now we're dealing with two owls so i'll probably refer to him as pacino oh i love when evans refers to al ruddy because i feel like he's calling him buddy <laughs> and it just seems like he's like, uh, now listen, buddy, I know what you're talking about, but buddy, we can't do it that way. We got to do it my way, buddy. <laughs> but he's saying ruddy, but he's got like, he's doing the Coke nose. So he's like trying not to breathe through his nose while he's talking. <laughs> that's the key. That's the key to the Evans impression. You get it. You got to do your best to just try and not breathe through your nose. But you By the way, did you read that like Army Hammer? was originally cast in that role and he, he act, <laughs> I think he shot some scenes and then obviously no way. got canceled and then they had to replace it. That's that's what I read. I couldn't picture that. I guess cuz I fell in love with Matthew Good in this role. He's so good, no no pun intended, but yeah. No pun intended, but he's got the the physique that I picture like skinnier, thinner kind of thing like I don't know if I mentioned last episode, but the only thing I really knew him from was Watchmen. 
like he's got a huge career and it's just like i've seen none of this stuff so well, i mentioned he was in like a, a cool british wine show yeah yeah imitation game oh i saw stoker i liked that surprise surprise but there was um i don't know if it's chasing liberty or that other one but like there are two movies about like the first daughter Okay, and, one is Chasing Liberty. He's in that. <laughs> okay, okay. So there's another one about like the first daughter. So he, look, I'm going to look up. It's one of those twin movies like Armageddon Deep Impact. Oh, it's called First Daughter. Very interesting. The other one. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, so he's, he's killing it. Who's the girl in uh, Chasing Liberty? Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore. So, so Katie Holmes is First Daughter. And they have a similar look. Oh my gosh, yeah. Same, maybe it's the same script. We should watch both movies and compare for the. So, next so, so you're on Chasing Liberty. You have it open because I'm on First Order. Yeah, yeah. Okay, who does she play? What's her character's name? Samantha McKenzie. Oh, I got Anna Foster. I wasn't sure if that would match. Okay, so I just want to ask this: Who's the president in, in yours? Who's the president in Chasing Liberty? Who's the actor? Yeah, who's the actor? <laughs> Mark Ham. Mark Harmon. Oh, oh. Mark Hammond. <laughs> Mark Harmon. Uh, I'm going to beat you here. I got, NCIS. Mike, I got Michael Keaton as the president in mine. Oh, well, that's nice. You have Batman and I have summer school teacher. <laughs> I do like summer school. <laughs> the guy in mine isn't as good as Matthew Good. It's some guy named Marcus Blucas. What a name. What a name. I don't know. Oh, he played Riley Finn I got... in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. I got another guy named Stark Sands. <laughs> Anyway, what do we? What does this become? Okay. A twin movie podcast, one of my other dream podcasts. Hey, I smell spinoff. Get those <laughs> letters in. Uh, let's see if there's. Oh, I like the part where you know Colin Hanks brings his accountant buddy into the the uh, the meeting and tells him like, you can't Ooh. do this. You got to make it. That's a great scene, right? When he's like. How about setting it in modern times? That'll save a lot of money. And how about not shooting it in New York? Mike, so I'm glad you brought that up. So the three things actually from the special features, I mean, I said there was two before. It was like how they wanted Robert mm-hmm. Redford or Robert Redford looking people, how they didn't want to shoot in New York. So one of the things they also said that they don't really mention here is not, it wasn't just like St. Louis, Kansas City. It wasn't cities like that. They were like shooting on the back lot. Ooh. Coppola was like, and I never forgot this because, again, my mother grew up on Lower East Side. She grew up on these streets that they ended up shooting in. So I know them very well. He was like, in Manhattan, they're one story taller than you built on the back lots. And someone from New York, New York will know. You know, they, they're too short on the back lots. We can never shoot there. So, like, that's someone who just knows his shit. And I love it. And the third thing, what was the third thing you mentioned that he was saying? Oh, set in the modern times. Yeah, they were. That was true. They were very much pushing that, not just for money reasons, which is most of the reasons, but also they thought it would be like a little bit more edgy to have a kind of like a modern twist on the book. So that's that's yeah, all yeah. real. That's all true. That is insane. They're like, yeah, you could be coming home from Vietnam instead of uh, World War Two. It's like what? Like <laughs> that's that's a completely different character. Um, and I guess the, the last thing that sticks out or one of the last big things that stick out is, um, Robert Evans gets sent a rat wrapped in yes, yes, the yes. jacket of the Godfather book. I don't know if this happened. It seems like too coincidental or whatever, but like, yeah, he gets, he gets the rat sent in the book and this is where we end. Mike, I can't wait for episode three. 
how does this one exactly end? Because it's blurring with me. So, so Evans is freaking the fuck out, and he goes back to L.A. Oh no! And then Evans gets handed the trades, and he finds out that like he's going to be fired, or, mm-hmm. right? Like he's on his way out, and he's like, "That son of a bitch, Colin Hanks." And then Al Reddy gets picked up by the mob. Okay, okay, okay. So episode three. Just going to give you a little spoiler alert on that one. Or is that in episode two? So tell me, when is it where we see his reaction? Uh, you know, Matthew Good's reaction to getting the rat. Like, did we see that? Yeah, yet? no, he. Okay, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's in. It's at the end of this episode. I love he goes that. in his room. Okay. Yeah, and he's just like he's hammered, probably, and he just like sees the the dust jacket and and he sees the rat and he then he's freaking the fuck out and he's in the car and he's freaking out. So so sorry. So I think it's in the next episode then where he. Tells Ruddy about it. Okay. So I I can't wait for you to see that scene because like, it's so so amazing. It, it's just really quick. So there I was. I was getting ready for bed, baby, and uh, you know it's a really long day. It was jet lagged, and then I see the Godfather, and it's on my bed, and it's a fucking rat. <laughs> it's even better because he like picks him up in a car. So I'll spoiler alert it for you guys. Sorry, but Francois and him are in a hotel. Because they're still in New York at this point. And Bob Evans is in New York too, and and uh, it's one of the same things where it's like the kidnapping. She's like, "Oh, get go get me this or something along those lines." Yeah, the croissants. No, no, they're having they're having sex, <laughs> or about to. Yeah, yeah. This is all in episode two. Oh, and so Evans it is. Calls him. Okay, okay. So and he's parent. You've been drinking too much Coppola wine. No, there, my no, friend. no. I watched them back to back, so I'm not sure which is which. So okay, the, okay, so this yeah, is, yeah. So this is episode two. So it's not a spoiler then. No, no, no. When he calls him and then he gets in the car quickly. Yes, I, yes, I yes. I love that. I love that reaction. He's basically like, this, there was a rat in the book. And he's like... Uh, you better fix this. Yeah, he's like, fix it. And then Alrighty's just kind of sitting there. He's like, get the fuck out of my car. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so sorry. Like, literally, Mike, I watched these like they were the same episode. It was just like... No, I understand. Like, I understand. All good. But I loved... Love seeing his reaction is my point. So, yeah, I think this episode yeah. ends on an interesting note, and I can't wait for you to watch episode three, Mike, for us to talk about it because it was really, yeah, really yeah. fun. I'm looking forward to seeing you know the worlds collide here. Already meeting uh, Joe Colombo possibly, and uh, you know I've warmed up to Giovanni Ribisi this episode. I've warmed up more to the mob stuff. I like how they're basically like done with hopefully, but they're like fuck Sinatra by the end of this like we got other problems like we can't be in the movie business but we'll see what happens in in episode three I'm looking very much forward to it I literally can't wait till you watch it so uh keep (laughs) tuning into this feed thank you so much for listening subscribe like this uh follow me on Twitter, oh my Rodriguez, that's my Twitter handle. Mike, what's your Twitter handle or whatever else you want to share? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the underscore Mikester on Twitter and then cageclub.me for all the other shows that I'm on. Still haven't figured out a proper Coppola way to end this. We gotta, we gotta watch. Arrivederci. We, well, we gotta watch a couple Coppola films and find like his best ending. We need to go beyond The Godfather. Yeah, we gotta go beyond the films. Like, I gotta watch more interviews with him, listen to the audio commentaries, try and like nail down. You know what phrases he repeats maybe we'll find something in there i don't know i don't know either mike but this is a pleasure as always i'm gonna finish my glass of wine and uh you know <laughs> till next time i suppose this is the end beautiful friend 
This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate plans The end Of everything that stands The end No safety 